Hey guys, in this episode I'm going to be playing a snippet of one of my past episodes which was on intuitive eating or to put it more accurately on ad libitum dieting. This was a pretty long 50 or so minute episode and I realized that it kind of got buried under other episodes that I've done. And that's kind of unfortunate because I think that's actually one of my best works so far. So I decided that over the course of a few episodes, I will rehash some of the more important concepts in that one as kind of a teaser. And in this particular one here, I will repost probably one of the more important parts of it all, which was an, on the satiety from foods and how you can select foods to ensure appropriate satiety if you don't want to track your macros. In the beginning, you'll hear me saying things like the bottom layer and uh, things like that. And that's because I layered the important factors that determine the caloric intake indirectly if you're not tracking macros into sort of a hierarchy of importance. And so because, like I said, food choices and the satiety index of these foods is so important, it is the bottom layer, the most important layer of this hypothetical nutritional pyramid. So uh, that is all as an intro, basically. And with that, let's dive into the actual episode. And of course, if you want to hear the entirety of all of this, you can go ahead and check it out. It is linked in the description below. This is kind of meant as a teaser for those of you who have not checked those episodes out. I think it's really a comprehensive guide, and um, I think I did a decent job at summarizing the most important concepts that go into making an ad libitum or quote-unquote intuitive eating strategy work. If you don't want to track your macros, but you still want to progress towards your body composition goals, um, then I think this is a, a pretty comprehensive and... Um, extensive guide on the topic. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I will re-release a couple of these over the course of the next few weeks. Yeah, hope you enjoy this. So let's get into it. And with that, let's focus on the bottom layer of this pyramid first. So let's talk about food choices. Um, the reason why this is the bottom most important layer of this intuitive eating pyramid is because from all the things that can have an impact on hunger and satiety mechanisms, the foods themselves have the biggest impact. You could mess up all the other layers pretty badly, but if your food choices are in order, then you could still be quite effectively progressing towards your goals. For example, you could have a terrible diet structure with the most suboptimal meal frequency, meal schedule, and calorie distribution. You could have all kinds of messed up behaviors around your meals. But if you only eat chicken and broccoli, to give a stupid example, you would be more than likely to still lose fat. Conversely, you could have excellently scheduled meals with the absolute most optimal meal frequency. Your calories could be distributed across the day in the most optimal way possible. You could be eating incredibly mindfully, so your mindfulness levels could only be paralleled by Buddhist monks or something. But if your diet is consisting mainly of cheese-filled pizza dough and waffles dipped in Nutella, then I would still not be super confident that you will not overeat. So for that reason, food choices are absolute key. Now, from a body composition standpoint, the number one factor that will, you will want to monitor is the so-called satiety index of your diet and the food you eat. So the website nutritiondata.com 
lists how filling certain foods are when compared to one another. So you can just Google nutrition data fullness factor and the rating that they provide is generally pretty good, although it's not always accurate in my experience. But I think the best thing is to simply understand what determines how filling a given food is. So the main determinants of the satiety-inducing effect of any given food are food volume to caloric ratio, viscosity, palatability, and then to some extent also protein and fiber. So uh, let's talk about these individually. Food volume to caloric ratio. Uh, simply put, it basically just refers to the sheer quantity or mass of food that you get to eat for a given amount of calories. So you can look at something like a plate of raw, chopped up cucumbers, which a pound or a half a kilo of it might contain something like 50 or 60 calories. Or you can look at something like almonds, which are a super nutritious whole food, but 100 grams of it or something like two handfuls contain 600 calories. So 10 times the amount as cucumbers. And certainly anybody who has sat down in front of the TV with a bag of nuts in their hands can attest to the notion that you can polish down some absurd amounts of calories pretty quickly that way. And there is in fact evidence of this that people when they are left on their own devices, they tend to eat a relatively constant mass of or quantity of food. And they tend to not deviate from that so much, regardless of how many calories the food they eat contains. So this suggests that for the feeling of satiation and fullness after a meal, the most important thing is that the food contains enough volume or weight for your given needs and preferences. And we actually have good reasons to believe this, as it's been shown, it's very well established actually at this point, that one of, it's not the only, but one of the important mechanisms through which the brain actually senses that you're getting full is through the stretching of your stomach. And this is pretty cool because what this means is that you can basically be just as satisfied, at least temporarily, by eating a much lower calorie amount if you eat a sufficient quantity of food. And on a related note here, you can make use of this stomach stretching-based satiety mechanism by consuming water or some other zero-calorie beverage, especially right before your meals and even during your meals. So if you're dieting, a good habit to get into is to have one or two glasses of water or other zero-calorie beverage before you start eating and maybe another one or two glasses during your meal. And this way your stomach will get filled up nicely and you will get a feeling of satiety without actually consuming as much calories as you otherwise would. And so on this theme further, if you think about it, you could engineer a 3,000 calorie diet, which consists of olive oil, table sugar, and whey protein, to give just a stupid example. And chances are that you would still be hungry at the end of the day, because the total quantity of food you would be eating would be very little. Or, on the other hand, you could engineer an 1,800-calorie diet, which is much lower in calories, of course, which consists almost exclusively out of lean protein and green veggies. And you could find yourself in a situation where you would have a hard time stuffing down that much food. So, bottom line, eating a sufficient quantity of food volume is key. And as a general rule of thumb, you want to eat each meal to the point when you feel like you don't really want the next bite because it would just make you feel a bit uncomfortably stuffed. And you could also call this as a feeling of comfortable fullness. 
Next thing I want to cover quickly is viscosity. It basically refers to the density or thickness of the food. So generally, the more viscous a food is, the more satiating it is. And this mainly comes into play with liquid-like food items that you can either drink or eat with a spoon. So as you probably have noticed, sugary sodas are not satiating at all. And then fruit juices with some fruit pulp in them have some very little impact on satiety. And, and then if you put together some thick smoothie, then it may actually be pretty satiating. And you can also notice the same thing with dairy products or different soups and stews. So basically, this is just one more reason to minimize liquid calories generally, especially on a diet. With that, uh, let's move on to the next key factor, which is food palatability. So palatability is basically just referring to the tastiness of the food. And it's hardly news for anyone, but it unfortunately inversely correlates with satiety. So in general, the better a given food tastes, the more you'll want to eat of it. So the obvious extreme examples here are once again, the foods that we generally think of as treats or junk foods. One of the main reason why these foods are so overeating promoting is because they are just so damn yummy that we tend to keep eating them past our point of satiation besides the fact that these foods are of course incredibly calorie dense this also helps explaining why sugar for example in a practical sense is problematic because it increases calorie density and palatability at the same time and what i mean by that is when you add some zero calorie sweetener to some food for example then you will add more then you will eat more of it because you just increased palatability you made the food tastier but at least you didn't increase the energy density of the food because the sweetener was zero calories or, or at least close to it but on the other hand if you add sugar to a plain food you increase the palatability which again drives up caloric intake and you increase the energy density of the food. So any given bite of food that you eat will now contain more calories and it will increase your desire to go for the next bite as well. So it's kind of a double whammy in terms of calorie increase. And it, of course, gets even worse when you add butters, oils, cream, etc. So bottom line, if we eat ad libitum, we need to be mindful of the palatability factor of our overall diet. Now, Whole, unprocessed, single-ingredient foods tend to not have this effect, but still there are still differences between different foods. Some of them are naturally sweeter, some of them have a more pleasing mouthfeel to them, and depending on how deep you are into a diet, you may want to watch out for those. One example that comes to mind, for example, is bananas as opposed to apples, which both contain roughly the same amount of calories, but apples are generally considered to be a lot more satiating, partially because of this palatability factor. Next big factors, protein and fiber. Protein is generally viewed as the most satiating macronutrient, and that is probably valid. Traditionally, bodybuilders have always loaded up on tons of protein. How much of an impact that has on their satiety compared to other macronutrients, it's hard to tell because these bodybuilders also load up on tons of fibrous veggies, so they might swear by the satiating effects of protein as the factor that got them through the diet, whereas in reality, it might have been the ton of fiber that they consumed. In fact, I've been introduced to this concept called protein leverage theory during the Bayesian personal trainer course, which basically stipulates that evolutionarily, it makes sense for your body to make you hungry for a given amount of protein 
that is sufficient to provide your body with its needs. And if you eat less than that, then you'll stay hungry. But if you keep consuming more than that, then it's no longer more satiating. And I think simply practically speaking, in general, for the management of hunger and satiety, it's worth loading up more on things like fruits and vegetables as they are generally less caloric than protein sources. So you can eat a small piece of chicken breast for 100 or 150 calories, or you can eat a pound of green veggies for that amount at least. Uh, This brings up fiber. Fiber not only contributes to the volume of the food, but soluble fiber also gets fermented into short-chain fatty acids in the gut, which triggers satiety in between meals. So in general, fibrous foods, which in practice mean fruit, vegetables, deserve a big thumbs up. My general rule of thumb with fiber on a diet is to consume the most amount you can without causing yourself gastrointestinal distress. And it's good to get into the habit of having fiber just like protein with every single meal. So putting everything together so far in terms of food choices, things that matter the most are food volume, viscosity and palatability, and then on a related point, fiber, and then probably to a lesser extent, protein. And if you were to engineer the lowest calorie diet you can without tracking macros, you would put together a meal plan that consists of foods that taste pretty bland and has very low calorie, high fiber, high protein foods that provide a lot of volume and fill your stomach up. So you're less likely to put down a ton of calories in the first place, but then even the taste is pretty forgettable. So you don't even have the urge to do so. So that would be one end of the spectrum. And then if someone aspires to do a 10,000 calorie challenge or something, then just select a whole bunch of really tasty foods that provide a lot of calories for very little food volume and contain very little fiber and protein and you'll probably get impressively far in that 10,000 calorie challenge without counting anything. And then there are, of course, more sane approaches in between. So ideally, you don't want to cut long-term on super bland foods exclusively, but for short-term goals, it can be rather useful. And you, of course, don't want to do a 10,000-calorie bulking diet ideally either. Now, as I said, food choices form the foundation of all of this. That is the one thing that needs to be taken care of ahead of anything else. But there are other factors too that influence your ad libitum energy intake. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, Like I said, if you want to check out the entirety of this, uh, then check out the link that is provided in the description below. And I hope you will find those episodes valuable. If you're interested in uh, progressing towards your goals, body composition-wise, and don't want to track your macros, then I think this is one of the better guides out there, certainly on YouTube. I hope uh, you will give that a go if you haven't already. And with that, see you in the next episode. Hey guys, I just want to tell you again that your inputs for this podcast will help it grow more than anything and your requests, ideas and comments will contribute to awesome content going live on this channel and podcast more than anything. So if you want to contribute, the best thing you can do is to go on Facebook and look up sustainable self-development. You'll find both the page and the Facebook group that is dedicated to discussions and ideas being thrown around. Go there and note down your comments about what kinds of topics or guests you want to be featured on this podcast and YouTube channel in the future. Just keep in mind the general theme of this podcast and my YouTube channel, which is to help people becoming their best selves in terms of lifestyle as it pertains to fitness and general personal development. This podcast is really dedicated to self-improvement, both physically and mentally. So keep that in mind. So thanks again for tuning in and see you next time.